Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. We are at the Storyteller Studio in the Edgebrook Shopping Center. I'm Ken DeCoster. I worked at WROK from June of 1982 until November of 1995, and it's my pleasure to welcome uh, my colleagues, former colleagues, uh, Tim Larson, Liz Wilder, and uh, today's guest of honor is widely remembered in the community as a news reporter and eventually news director for WROK in the 1970s and 1980s, Mr. Bob Pressman. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Bob is also well-known not only for his news reporting throughout the years, but also his sports coverage and his wealth of baseball knowledge that, in fact, earned him the nickname Mr. Baseball. And we will get into that a little bit later. But first, uh, Bob, you were born and raised on Chicago's north side, correct? That is correct, yes. And yet you are a diehard Chicago White Sox. Yes, <laughs> diehard underlined. Right. Yes. Why the allegiance to the White Sox when you were so close to the Chicago Cubs? Because I'm an intelligent baseball fan. <laughs> <laughs> so geography no, the, has nothing no, to no, do with the, it. The, way, the, way, the reason for that is I, I get my sports interest in really all sports from my grandfather, my mother's father. He also lived on the north side, not far from where we lived, but he was a physician, and his, the, his main part of his practice was at Michael Reese Hospital, which is no more, mm-hmm. uh, which was on 31st Street on the south side, sure. very close to Comiskey Park. And he had season tickets to the White Sox. He was a huge, huge sports fan, went to all kinds of sporting events. And as a result of that, he would take, he, he had front row, he had two front row seats to the Sox games, great seats between uh, the visitor's dugout and the on-deck circle on the first base side. And he would take uh, me and, and sometimes my brother, just one or the other, each had the two tickets to the White Sox game. Sure. And that's where I got my interest in that. And he not only, big sportsman I mentioned, we have had season tickets to the Bears games in our family since the 1940s. Meaning you saw the Bears at Wrigley Field. Loved the games at Wrigley Field. That was actually a great place to see a football game because you were right on top of the action. Sure. In fact, you and your brother saw the Chicago Bears beat the New York Giants for the 1963 NFL Championship. Your memory is terrific, Ken. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly right. And and we froze our buns off at that game. That's the coldest I've ever been at a football game. It was well worth it. Wow. At what point in your life did you decide to pursue a career in radio? Probably f- fairly early on uh, I did. Uh, believe it or not, when I was a kid, 
This will sound really, really funny. You know, I, I'm a big collector of baseball cards as a kid. Loved the baseball cards. And I would set up a thing in uh, my, uh, our living room. We had an apartment. And I'd create this miniature baseball field. And I'd oh. have the cards all set up, and I'd put the players out at their positions. And you know they have these uh, pen and pencil sets in the form of a baseball bat? Yeah. I would tear out the pen or pencil part, <laughs> use that as a, as a bat, have a marble as the ball, and literally do a game announcing the game. Wow. But it was on oh, there. Oh, cool. So, so, so my, wow. my initial interest uh, getting into radio and announcing was really sports announcing. And where I did it initially was where I, uh, in college. Sure, at Knox College. Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I worked at the student radio station there for all four years. What was neat about that, a small school, so you, you got to do everything. Sure. And you kind of learned by experience, by trying. And, uh, and I, announced, I announced football uh, and basketball, uh, did, did a few baseball games. I actually did a soccer game. And I know nothing about soccer. I mean, nothing. It was probably the worst soccer broadcast in history. But uh, that's where I first started. I, I worked at a commercial station then my last year in Galesburg, too. What sports broadcasters, TV or radio, uh, do you admire? Well, the one who definitely had the most influence on me was Jack Brickhouse. The way he sounded on the air, that's who he was. If you ever met him privately, it'd be the same way. As a matter of fact, one year, he was, uh, he was out here for the Cubs caravan. Sure. And before, normally that would be at the Metro Center, but they had an initial thing for the media, I guess, out of the clock tower. And someone tipped Jack Brickhouse off about me. I'd never met Brickhouse before. I'm going to walk in there and just, you know, it's getting introduced to people. I get introduced to Jack Brickhouse, and he says, I know you. You're a Sox fan. <laughs> oh. And uh, that, was, that was like, that was great. That's something sure. I'll, I'll never forget, because growing up, this was the guy I listened to. When did you start in Rockford Radio? What year? October of 1974. I had been working at a small radio station in Aberdeen, Maryland which is a little bit outside of Baltimore. Sure. And it's mostly known, the Aberdeen Proving Ground is there. There are a couple of military bases there. This was the most god-awful station you'd ever <laughs> want to work at. I mean, I got paid, you know, we all know this. When you start out in radio, you get paid next to nothing. Mm-hmm. I was so poor, I could not afford to rent an apartment. Wow. I, ha- I rented a room. That's wow. all I, I could afford. And I remember working uh, six days a week, my one day off was Wednesday. So, I mean, I had zero social life. The, the, the owner of the station was a miserable human being. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, so cheap, you couldn't believe it. And just, it just uh, not a people person at all. Yeah. He, he treated us like dirt. You know, everything you did, you never got complimented or anything, for anything. Mm-hmm. And, but he was, and he was so distrustful of the DJs there. Uh, and announcers, he wouldn't let us cut commercials. He did the commercials himself. Now this all guy, of them? this guy had to be practically all of them. He had to be at least in his 60s. He looked like he was in his 80s. Mm-hmm. And literally at the end of a uh, probably a 60 second spot, whatever, he'd be running out of breath. <laughs> and you'd hear, it sounded like he was ready to croak, literally, any, any second, any second. Oh, my. I was working there 
and I thought, all right, I, I, I got to get get out of this. This place is terrible. I got to need a. I want to work in radio still, but someplace else, someplace where I could do sports. Sure. And I, I put an ad in Broadcasting Magazine and got a response from WRWC Radio at that time in Rockton. Oh, yeah. So I go out there, I interview, and then they, it was crazy. It was a beautiful music station. And they just, you'd put on a, a, an LP, a long playing record, and you'd pick out a cut and play it. I mean, there was almost no announcing. You kind of babysat the board. Mm-hmm. At the top of the hour, you gave a brief weather and, you know, probably some AP news. That's all it was. Anyway, so I go out there and interview that, and way back, I had somehow heard about WROK. So I remember on the way back to Chicago, I thought, I'm going to stop at WROK. Just popped in. And I remember walking in there and saying, you know, I'd like to see the, the program director, whoever. I'm interested in, uh, in, in working as an announcer. And they said, well, just a minute. And they just had to wait a fairly short time, and Carl Hamilton came out. Mm-hmm. Showed me around the stations, and I was like, wow, this, this is really a terrific setup, especially after I'd seen WRWC. Sure. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, so that was my first contact with WRWC. And long story short, I got the job at WRWC, and in addition to uh, being I – I, I worked 6 p.m. to midnight – uh, and this would have been, with the one exception was Sunday, where I worked, they signed off at 11 p.m. on Sunday nights. So it was kind of crazy. I guess it must, I must have worked 6 p.m. to 11 on, uh, on Sundays. But they also did, this is crazy, a beautiful music FM station before FM was that big. Yeah. They did high school and college football and basketball games. Wow. Oh, wow. So I was a perfect fit. I mean, I could run the board and all, do all that stuff, and I could do play-by-play sports. You were doing, like, Rock Valley College football, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, well, we, I did high school sure. football. That year was incredible because 74 was one of the greatest high school football teams of all time, the 74 East E-Rabs. Mm. And uh, they had, like, seven or eight players play major college football. Mm-hmm. And one, uh, a, a few had tryouts in the NFL. One, Ira Matthews, got a Super Bowl ring. With, with the, the Oakland Raiders. Oakland Raiders, exa- right. exactly wow. right. But so I did high school and um, football and basketball, uh, Rock, Rock Valley College football and basketball, and Rockford College basketball. Mm. You also, at WRWC, met the woman who would become that's, your wife, that's, correct? That's true. That, Whatever happened to her? Uh, you know, I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. No, uh, you and Marianne have been married 47 years? That's correct. Boy, you're good here, I am Ken. good. We're, we're, we're actually, he is. Actually, he is. next month it will be 47 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm the lucky one on this, no question about it. And it was interesting because... You know, I threw a lot of people, if they know ROK, ZOK, they know Marianne. Marianne mm-hmm. yeah. worked at ROK or ZOK like three different times. Sure. Oh. Uh, initially as a copywriter. A lot of people don't know that. She got hired initially by Dave Salisbury as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Marianne has had more jobs than anyone I've ever met. Absolutely. Me too. I mean, I mean she, she, if you go down the list, she's had more than 30 different jobs easily. At, at the same station? No, no, no. Oh, no. She oh, just did overall. different things. Oh, mostly, what she she worked for ad agencies mostly. Okay. That that and she she was the voice 
Uh, and actually, I, you could say, I guess, the face of uh, Bergner Weisse's career. She was head of broadcast advertising for Bergner Weisse's yeah. when I met her. Wow. Now She has a beautiful voice. That's the best. Cool. But, yeah. Well, interesting you mentioned that because th that was the first thing that attracted me to her because I was working, uh, again, at WRC, I was working seven days a week. Mm -hmm. my, my one day off was Saturday, but I always had a high school football or college basketball or football game on Saturday nights. So I would take the equipment with me to the game. I'd have it Friday night at wherever we were. It would have been a high school game. I'd keep it, and then I'd have a high school or college football or basketball game Saturday night. And the basketball overlapped a little bit with the college. Anyway, so I would have the equipment. I'd go to the stadium or to the uh, gym, wherever it was. It was by phone line. So we'd, I'd hook up all the equipment and everything, and I'd call back to the station, make sure we got through, the line was okay and everything, and this voice <laughs> comes on the other end. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Marianne, she, at that time, she was head of broadcast advertising at Bergner Weisse's, and on the weekends, she worked a shift Saturday night and Sunday morning. I, you know, two or three times, I, you know, the first few games, I'm hearing this, and, you know, boy, the voice is great. She sounds so nice. And then, I, you know, the following week, I go to the station, I said, uh, her last name at, at that time was Starrett. Uh, I, I asked people, you know, at the station, who is this Marianne Starrett? And they said, oh, she's very nice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, good, all good things. So I thought to myself, all right, I've heard the voice. <laughs> you know, if, if, you know, the person is anything like the voice, wow. So after one game, normally what I would do, since I do my, you know, Friday, Saturday night, and then I had to come in Sunday. I worked, yeah, I think it was like 6 to 11 p.m. on Sunday, something like it. It was a little shorter shift because they signed off. And normally I would just bring the equipment in with me Sunday. Mm -hmm. I was coming back then. There was no reason not to. But why, after one Saturday night game, I thought to myself, <laughs> I'm going to bring the equipment back tonight because I got to see this person. Wow. And walked in. There she was, and obviously beautiful. Oh. And um, I'll another story. This is not with radio, but the way we got together, you'll find this. We tell this to people. All the time. How did you guys meet? And how yep, did you, uh, yep. the, whole, yeah. the whole bit. Anyway. I really liked her. I didn't know if she liked me or not, whatever. And this would have been that same initial season, that first football season. I mentioned how East High had this right. great team. Fall of 74. Now, now, what would happen, my shift on Friday during sports season, instead of working 6 p.m. to midnight, I would work on the board from uh, noon to 6 or noon to 5 because I had, to, I had to get to a game on Friday nights. So anyway... She calls me up and says, uh, well, oh, I should mention one other thing here. Before I had met her, this is, this is a funny story. Oh. Before I had met her, this would have been my first week working there. My first week, I was literally commuting from Chicago. Oh. And then before I finally got a, a, an apartment in, actually in Beloit for WRWC. And I got a call from her, and I had never, talk, I had never had seen, talked to her, nothing. And she says, uh, listen, this, this coming weekend, there's a surprise birthday party for my brother in Chicago. Uh, you know, just switch shifts so I could go to the party, and then I can come back. I'll work your shift. Well, now, I would only been there a couple weeks. Now, this was October of 74. Okay. And, Ken, you know what goes on in October, the World Series. Oh, sure. The World Series. Would have been so, the 
Dodgers and the A's. Correct. In 74. Correct. Dodgers wow. and the A's. Right. Ken, so, you're good. So <laughs> wow. I, I, I say to her, I think about it for a second, I said, well, you know the World Series is going on then. She's, she's thinking, what the hell does that have to do with yeah. anything, right? So I say, I'm, I said, I'm not going to miss the World Series. So at that time, the World Series, it was the Dodgers and the A's, and I can't remember who was ahead. The Dodgers, the A's. So I said, well, if the World Series ends before Sunday, which it could have, then I'll switch. Otherwise, no way. Oh, my gosh. But, so I'll get back to you. Anyway, wow. she calls me mm -hmm. from her office at Bergner Weisse's. That was in the Northtown Mall where they had the administration offices. And she's told, told me that she hangs up the phone and she, and she yells out to her cohorts, you can't believe this jerk I just talked to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't believe what he just said. So he, obviously uh, a very perceptive person. <laughs> Absolutely. She pegged me right from the beginning. But now, oh now I God, will say this cool. in my defense, uh, well, nice here, guy that I am. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> what I did, instead of shift, I thought, oh, she wants, you got this party and everything. So I changed the shift. And so after you I said, I'll work the early morning shift, like from, it was midnight to six or whatever it was. And that way I could work that, then drive back to Chicago and watch the World Series. And so I called her up, and the World Series was still going on. I oh. said, listen, this is what I'll do. I'll switch shifts and do all this so you can do your party and you can work my late shift. So how much time passed from the, your initial meeting yeah. to the time you got married? Well, several months. But I'll tell you a quick story about how, because you'll find this funny. All this time after I meet her and the whole bit, I'm thinking, how can I ever get together with her? One of us is always working. Mm -hmm. I mean, she wor we oh, both work yeah. seven days a week. Yeah. And, she, you know, she, I work nights. She worked days. How could yeah. we ever get together? A couple, three days before, it was the weekend of the state. This would have been in November, probably. Yeah, November. State championship football games. East is playing for their state championship in their class. And the game is Saturday morning. It was played mm -hmm. at Illinois State University in Normal. And I get a call. She says, you know, if you're not busy Friday night, and Friday's work because I work the, I still work the afternoon shift. She said, if you're not busy Friday night, how about going out to dinner wow. with uh, me and my sister and, and a date? I said, oh, you know, answered my prayer, right? Uh -huh. Answered my uh -huh. prayer. So that sounds fine. And she says, we'll pick you up at your apartment in Beloit, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. Great. So I get through the, you know, the, my shift. I, I, you know, zoom home, get ready for the whole bit. Car pulls up. There's Marianne, mm -hmm. and there's the date, but no sister. And she says, "We can't find Irene." So we're looking. She's supposed to be here. We thought she might be there. There might some be some bar she's at. She worked for the Beloit Daily News at the time. Her oh, sister did. My goodness. Anyway. Dave was the was the was the date sent. I said, right, this Dave can't find Irene his date and everything. Anyway, we get get into the vehicle, he's driving. Marianne gets in front with him, they put me in the back. <laughs> oh no. And, and, and I, I'm a little slow at times, but finally I figure this out. Marianne isn't my date. Her sister uh -uh. is. Oh, oh my. Oh my. So I get in the car and it, it dawns me and I, I start laughing for no apparent reason to them. And, wow. they, and they say, uh, okay. what, what's so funny? I said, so you're not going to believe this, but I thought Marianne was my date. 
and, and they get a big chuckle out of this and the whole thing. And then uh, uh, her date says, uh, well, we, we might be able to arrange that. And I just kind of laugh. In my mind, I'm thinking, you betcha, Buster. Where was Irene, by the way? We never found her. <laughs> we never she was fictitious. We, yeah. we, we looked at a few different spots, and she was, you know, MIA. What can I say? Never found her. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that's, that's how wow. she was trying to fix me up with her sister. Wow. So, yeah. So, so after, after all this bowl of spaghetti, here you are, 47 years, did you say, married? Yeah. And she's a Cubs fan. Well, I'll, I'll mention this out. You know, she literally told me everything about her sordid past. You know, I, I'm actually I'm her third husband. Oh, so, third time's a charm. Uh, yep, I, I hope so. It is. At any rate, the one thing she didn't tell me before we were married mm. was that she's a Cub fan. <laughs> you know, so what can I? And it was too late then. We were already yep. married. It was too late. Yeah. Can I say? Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful. Sorry, that deal breaker. <laughs> When the Cubs won in 2016, did, yeah. did you share in her joy? Or? I was glad for her. Yes. No question. I was glad for <laughs> her. That was the only redeeming Good. quality of that World Series victory. So you started at WROK when? I would have started at ROK. Oh, boy. Because I, I did some work for, for Cablevision then, doing mm. sports with yeah. them. And I started actually part-time. We got married August 30th, 1975, and I was still at WRWC then, I'm pretty sure. And then probably that fall, I was actually fired from WRWC. Why? Really? Uh, well, the uh, the station manager at that time was Uh-oh. a man by the name of Reinhardt Metzger. Was he another miserable person? <laughs> he wasn't miserable. He was one of the stupidest people I've ever I've ever run into. We all have to have titles. And, 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 and <laughs> admittedly, you know, I, you know, he he through or say something, I, you know, it wasn't very bright on my part. I, I would kind of jump on him, you know, for th- some of the things he said or did. And finally, because I said to him, I Bob, ne- are you I- saying that you're, a, you're direct? Uh, well, <laughs> you might say that. Anyway, I mean, because I told him he said this, I was flabbergasted. And uh, at the time, I thought, wait a minute. He says, I have never missed a day. I come in early. I do extra stuff because uh, part of what I added on to this was I would put, when I get off the board at midnight, I put a couple sports reports on a cart yeah. to run the next morning. And actually, that's when I, and while I was there, I got press credentials, you know, for, you know, White Sox, Cubs, Milwaukee Brewers, Chicago Bears. Sure. Uh, and uh, which was terrific. I, I obviously love that. I, I tell everybody it's probably good to get fired once mm. just to see what you go through because that was devastating to me. Uh, but it was, it was probably it was a good lesson for me, mm-hmm. I, I would say. But, but starting at ROK, that would have been, I guess, the fall or winter, probably the winter, 75-76. Uh, uh, Bill Phillips was the news director, and he had heard me on the air, and I think mm-hmm. I had met him once or twice. So he called me up and said, you know, we're looking for someone to do this, this, the you know, late afternoon evening shift in the newsroom. I really had never done straight, I, you know, red news, but right. I had never been a reporter or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I explained that to him. He says, okay, we need someone here. And I started. And I said, and this will just be a temporary thing till we find someone, you know, full time. I said, fine. Because I said, you know, I'm really interested in doing sports. So I started working there. And uh, Bill and I became, as you know, very close. Yep. He said to me, uh, how Bill, about, another Cub fan, by the way. Okay, yes, another <laughs> Cub fan. Anyway, he said, how about doing this full-time on a permanent basis? And, and I said, he said, though, as long as you're not going to look for a sports job. And I said, no, I'm, I'm 
going to be straight with you here. I'm going to look for a sports job. Yeah. Okay, well, we can't hire you full-time. And actually, that's when he hired John Stranded. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I'm working there part-time doing cable stuff. So now I, you know, I don't have a job. I'm drawing a blank on his last name. You remember Dave, Co- Dave Coglin? Sure. Uh, who also later worked at Channel 23. Mm-hmm. He was the, it was a one-man news department at Triple R Radio then. And he got a job, Dave, I think that's when he got the job at Channel 23. They needed someone there. I heard about it. So I applied and got the job right away. The owner of the station, as you, you may recall, Ken, was Howard Miller. Yes. The oh, Howard wow. Miller of wow. Chicago radio right. fame. And, and he, he was a piece of work. Sure. He was a piece of work. So was McDuff there at Triple R when you were there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh. He was doing mornings. Wow. I take that back. He was in sales. Okay. I think he was, yeah, he must have been on the air too. Mm-hmm. But I know he did sales also. Wow. Yeah. So who else, uh, Bill, uh, John Stranton, who else was in the ROK News Department at that time? Uh, Cliff Albert. Okay. Cliff Albert was like the assistant. Yeah, it was, would have been Cliff and Fred and of Bill course. and Fred. Right. Uh, and then, uh, well, and then me part-time, then John. And then what happened was I worked at Triple R for, it was not even a year, I don't think. And Cliff Albert gets a job to be news director at a radio station, I believe, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he goes there. They needed someone there. And I, you know, and by this time I had had the experience. I was running a one-man shop but worked hard. But and being a one-man shop, oh, my God, at Triple R, oh, my God, it was just, uh, <laughs> you worked, I had to work like crazy. Sure. I mean, I, I did that whole, the Fred Spear routine in the morning. I would be down at the public safety building at, you know, you know, four or five in the morning, getting information there, and then just uh, taking it back to Triple R. And that was good, because I made some good contacts there. And I remember one time, you know, Fred was just... I heard about a, someone called me or something about a fire or something like that. Oh, good. I'll get there. I'm going to beat Fred Spear, right? <laughs> I, I arrived there. I joke about this. Fred was on his way out. I mean, he left. He had done reports. He had interviewed <laughs> oh everybody. It was, the, it was the whole bit. Fred, uh, absolutely amazing with all that. But anyway, uh, so Cliff left, and then Bill called me, you know, mm-hmm. and, he, and he said, you'll be, you know, uh, you know, Cliff's job. You'll work during the day. And I said, fine. And that, that was a neat time, too, to get in there. This would have been, let's see, what year would this have been? That would have been 76. One thing we did then, John B. Anderson, who was the congressman from Rockford, right. who later ran for president, mm-hmm. and he, he would win the general election easily, but he had a primary opponent by the name of Don Lyon, mm-hmm. who was a local pastor, and very, very much more conservative than John B. Anderson. Mm-hmm. And I remember they had a debate in the studio. Wow. I remember it was me and Bill Phillips conducted the debate. Oh, my God. And, I mean, and you know, the newsroom was right in the newsroom. These are pretty close quarters. Sure. Yeah, very close. Yeah, yeah. Just back in the day. Oh, Tense. Oh, oh. Man, uh, you, mutual you, dislike. You could cut it with a knife. Yeah, and, wow. Mm-hmm. And I know, and actually, John B. was upset about it afterwards. He, he got a little upset at... I don't think I heard anything directly. Maybe he said something to Bill or Dave Salisbury, but he wasn't happy with the way we conducted it. I thought we were fair. You know, we, we gave them both sides, but, oh, man, the, the sparks were flying. There, there's no question about that. <laughs> Bob McGall would have been mayor at that time? Yes. Okay. Yes. And also, and uh, that was the time 
when the Metro Center was in the planning stages. Yes. I remember when you were news director and the Metro Center had been built, one of the, the misnomers was we rejected the Metro right. Center right. by vote and they built it anyway. And, right, right. Total misconception. But what voters voted down was paying using local taxes, property mm-hmm. taxes to pay for the Metro Center. That was right. voted down. And there was a special, I can't remember exactly what it was called, there was some kind of a special state commission or fund, whatever it was, to fund mm-hmm. metro centers or civic centers around the state. That's where the money came from. Sure. Mm. Yeah. I want to bring up some very important people. You worked for Vern Nolte yes. and Dave Salisbury. Yep. What, what kind of influence did they have on your life, your professional life at that time? Well, initially, I didn't have much to do with Vernon Dave before I was news director. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the, it was—it was—I got to know them much better after being news director. And I'll tell you stories yeah. Yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. I think that's frankly maybe the most interesting thing I have to talk about uh, because I—I I worked very directly with Dave. I felt Dave hired me. Uh, I really—I don't know if I even talked to Vern. I probably did, but Dave was seemed like the main—the main key there. Uh, and the influence was that they, particularly Vern, had a strong, strong interest in news. I mean, that was, that was one of his babies, and I hadn't realized it uh, until later. He had been in news, I guess, down at WJBC in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so he, he, and he always, he listened to the newscast all the time. I'll tell you a couple stories oh, with right. that. Uh, he, you know, you know, anything that went over the air in news, man, he was right on. <laughs> And a couple of things with that, because he was so into news, I mean, we ended up, after I became news director, and I, we actually added on one more position because we started doing some news on WZOK. Mm-hmm. When I was news director, we had five full-time people right. in the news department. Today, the, uh, a radio station our size, frankly, even big city stations, they don't have that kind of personnel. There isn't that kind of dedication to news. And that was one thing, two things, that the fact Vern really wanted to have a good news department, number one. And number two, this is my understanding. Now, I could be totally wrong, but it makes sense to me. He did not need income from WROKWZOK. Uh, I don't know if people are aware of this. We're, we're, and this is the story I got. And I remember, I think, talking to him about this. When he's at WJBC in Bloomington, he worked with, I guess, a couple of the engineers there and developed the stop tone you could put on a cartridge. And this was big, because cartridges were there, but people couldn't figure out, fine, but how do you get it to to a stopping point where you can start it up at the right spot? Somehow he worked with the engineers, figured out how to do it, and he got the patent for it. Wow. And that, and he ended up selling the patent to some electronics mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't and, know that. And, and mm-hmm. so part of the deal was he got royalties. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's where he really made the money, I think, to buy ROKZOK and really to run it the way they ran it. If you think about the stuff they did, uh, at least I'll, I'll, from the aspect of the news department, when I was news director, I never had to put together a budget. Mm. I never, and that's really strange that I'm as the head of a department, and yet I don't have to submit a budget to anybody, just whatever things cost. And every request that I made to Vernon Dave, 
within reason. I don't, and sure. I don't think I get any, any reasonable. I didn't, you know. I, yeah, we need. <laughs> I need a case of champagne delivered to my house every day. No, yeah. uh, no that's just Friday afternoons during Friday the wine Friday, talks. Geez, yeah, that's yeah, a whole sex. other yeah. deal. Yeah. But uh, so any, you weren't denied. They just honed it down a little bit well, for Friday I, afternoon. I, 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 yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but anything, it was stuff I wanted. Yeah. But I, but I always thought it was reasonable. They fine, mm-hmm. fine. Go, let, let's do it. And they gave me such opportunities. Dave was big on this, too. And as I think of all of you know, uh, Vern was, well, I wouldn't call him shy. He was not really an outgoing person no. at all. Mm-hmm. Dave was just the opposite. Dave was the people person, yes. you know, big time, as, as, as everybody knows. Right. Absolutely. So Dave would be the contact, and I thought it was a good fit, where Vern kind of had the business sense, and then Dave was the people person to keep everybody happy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. many times he would, he, would, he would come in with, uh, with me on that. Uh, for instance, talk about wanting to do things. We mentioned John B. Anderson earlier. This would have been in 79. Cliff Albert was the news director then. At that point, Bill had left. Well, may, either he had left. No, he must have been. Or did he go to mornings, maybe? M- morning uh, I'm trying to get or? my. Uh, if, did he, I thought he went somewhere else first. Hmm. I thought he went somewhere else, and then he came back to do mornings. <clears throat> I may be wrong about that. But hey, Cliff Albert was the news director. Now, Cliff was married and had a young child. And what Vernon and Dave wanted to do, and I thought it was great, John B. Anderson is announcing for president of the United States. Hmm. You know, a congressman from Rockford. Right. So they said, we're, we're going to cover this big time. Mm-hmm. Going to send someone out to Washington, D.C. Right. to cover the as initial announcement, fly back on the same plane John's on, it was commercial, in Chicago. He had a news conference in Chicago and then back a news, a news uh, conference yeah. or opportunity here in Rockford. Yeah. Well, Cliff, I mean, it was funny, uh, but the young child, his wife didn't want him to leave and all this stuff, so... Anyway, they said, okay, Bob, you want to do it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Of course. So got to fly out to Washington with this, and uh, it was really neat. In the Capitol building, they had a separate uh, section. It was kind of a small enclosed thing, but it was great for radio where you could, you know, you plug in your equipment, a phone line, and just, you know, feed tape and do uh, feed in a report. It was was just terrific. So he makes the announcement, I have to run up there because – we, immediately after the end, you got to get uh, into this bus to take you to the airport to get on a plane to fly to Chicago. So I remember uh, just, you know, zipping on there, feeding some raw tape, doing a report, the whole bit. People back at the station, Cliff uh, was back there and, and handled it. Doing that, I mean, and look, I just made it to the bus. Uh, get on the bus, go to the airport, get on the plane. We're flying to Chicago. Who is sitting next to me on the plane? Lyle Dean. No. Okay. Diane Sawyer. Wow. Oh, my. Wow. Whoa. Come on. Diane Sawyer. I have never heard really? this. Really? Diane Sawyer. Did you talk to her? Yes. <laughs> was she Did you share peanuts? Or, uh, <laughs> uh, was she nice? Yeah. No. She was not nice? Very standoffish. Very cold. Mm. Now... And I'm inquisitive. Yeah. You know, I'm going yeah. to start asking questions <laughs> and all this stuff. And she was just didn't want to have anything to do with me. Oh now, my. now I think if she if she just would have said, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to concentrate on this, you know, I really I'd have been fine. Sure. But, yeah. but no, she was just very short. Uh, and I said, oh, after a while, I just man. stopped talking. I didn't even didn't even try. Years down the road, did you ever run into her again? 
No. Okay, just curious. I never ran. But I remember watching on the news that night. She worked for CBS. Uh, the news, uh, she did this, doing the stand-up outside O'Hare as the Anderson bus is pulling away, which I was inside the bus, uh, from the airport, from O'Hare to drive back to Rockford. But I remember that was so neat about that. So he, John B. does the news conference in Chicago, a lot of media there. Their media both in Washington, too. Then get on his campaign bus. I'm on there. And I remember he and John, I, I have the most admiration for him. I thought he was just terrific. And... He sits down. I said, I want to get an interview. I, I don't think I talk, I don't have to talk to him directly or one of his aides. Uh, though it was, I don't know how many aides he had. It was a very shoestring campaign. He didn't have much money. But I remember sitting with him one-on-one on the bus and interviewing him. Wow. And I think, and I, when I look back, at the time, you don't understand sure. how big this is. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you, uh, it dawns on you later, wow, I got to do that. So mm-hmm. how old would you have been at the time? I would have been, well, in 79, I would have been 31. Oh, my. I'd have been 31. So I go through all that, and then, uh, and it was neat later on, too. I mean, just this, John had, this is why he's a candidate. He had some news conference over in Rockford, and he's calling on different people, Mm -hmm. and he says, yeah, Bob, what's your question? He, you know, calls me by my first name. I I can relate to that. It's always... You kind of pump up your chest when, especially a well-known newsmaker, addresses you by your first name. Right. The other thing that happened at that time, and this was in regard to that election, Cliff uh, had left then. He was he after he got back from Kenosha, he was news director. Then he went out to San Diego. Uh, he was very good friends, I'm sure still is, with Mark Larson, mm-hmm. who was working at a radio station in San Diego. Wow. And Cliff and Mark called him, hey, we need a news director. Why don't you come out here? You, you'd be the guy. And that may be KFMB that Mark still oh, works absolutely. for. It, it was, yes, oh absolutely. Oh, wow. So Cliff leaves, and then, you know, I'm, I'm basically second in command under Cliff. And when he left, I got offered the job as news director. And the timing was such that, again, now it's 1980. There was a presidential campaign of some significance uh-huh. in 1980 that I recall. Ronald Reagan is running for president against Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who worked this out. I think it was the local Republican committee. They wanted to do some type of interview. They didn't want to have a, a gang of people. The Reagan campaign said, so why don't you just interview a couple people? So they chose two people from the media to sit down and interview Ronald Reagan on the stage of the Coronado. Wow. Oh, my God. Frank Graham, okay. who, who was the uh, news director at Channel 13, yeah. and me. Wow. <gasps> so, again, at the time, you think, well, yeah, this is great stuff. But, I mean, when I think about it now, I interviewed Ronald Reagan. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, almost so like cool. one-on-one, mm-hmm. you could say. And how, I, how did he come off? Uh, unbelievably great. I mean, I mean, if you know my political leanings, yeah. I'm, I'm and to this day, I'm not a fan of Ronald Reagan. But so personable, so nice. He knew how to deflect, and I thought, you know, I was prepared with, I thought, some fairly tough questions. He could deflect so easily. He never yeah. got defensive or upset mm-hmm. and just a- answered the question. But in regard to that, too, I'll, I'll mention one other thing with that, because this happened when I was assistant news director. On Saturday, uh, or I should say on Sunday mornings, you I don't remember this, Ken, we did a half-hour show. Mm-hmm. I think it was also called Viewpoint, mm-hmm. not the one on Saturday. Right. It was a half-hour interview, most of the time with local sure. people about different different things. I remember doing it with uh, Art Johnson, the school superintendent, Joe Orthifer, who ran the county health department. Anyway, 
I find out, and this would have been probably in yeah, 78, someone's coming to town to support state, the candidacy of State Representative Tim Sims. That person is U.S. Senator Bob Dole. Wow. Who, who, who had run for vice president. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't remember this, in 76. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was the running mate with Gerald Ford. Wow. So Bob Dole comes in. He may have had one aide with him who just stayed out in the lobby, comes back from the newsroom, just me and Bob Dole were taping the thing. I, I can't remember. No one else was around. I can't. It may have been a Saturday and that was going to run Sunday. I can't remember, but no one else was around. Do a half-hour interview with Bob Dole. Bob Dole is the most impressive politician I have ever met. This guy was so genuine, so real, and after we did the interview, he says... Why don't you show me around here, and, and what do you do here? Well, how's mm-hmm. your job? He was he was sincerely interested in me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I thought that was just so yeah. impressive. American war hero. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So wow. awesome. That, yeah. I had never heard that story. Yeah. So yeah. awesome. Um, you developed a very close friendship with Bill Phillips. Yes. Just, what, what should people who didn't know Bill remember about him or know oh. about him? Oh, gee. Uh one reason we got along so well, well, two reasons. We both had the same sense of humor. He laughed at all my stuff, and I laughed at his, <laughs> yeah. as silly as it might be at times. And the other thing I found with Bill, and it was definitely mutual, we trusted each other. Mm-hmm. You know, if we told him something in confidence, or if we were feeling, you know, uh, wanted to talk about some issue privately, uh, he, you know, we were there for each other. And so we ended up being very, very close. And the other thing that worked so well, you haven't brought this up, I'm thinking you might, when we did Mr. Baseball, it really clicked. Cause, and again, that was, it, you had to, it was a, a two-person bit. If, right. you, if you know, both of you had to be in the right place and understand the role. Who gave you the nickname? Okay, I'll tell you, this is how it, this is how it originated. <laughs> uh, this was, uh, probably would have been in 79, so Cliff would have been the news director. And again, talk about serendipity, mm. stuff that happens by accident. Uh, Fred Spear took one of his numerous vacations. Right? <laughs> oh, Fred, yeah. I say that in jest. But, you know, I think I can't remember if he had a – as my recollection is, Fred was entitled, I think, to more to, than two weeks off every year, but he would only take two weeks. Mm-hmm. He felt he yeah. didn't want to be gone that long. So anyway, yeah. he's on vacation, so someone has to work that early morning shift. And so that fell to me. So I'd have to go in early, uh, you know, do the, the rundown at the public safety building, get sure. all the police reports, come back, write up those stories, be on for the first couple of newscasts. Back then, I think the first one was at 6, I want to say. Maybe been earlier than that, maybe 5.30. And then uh, at 7 o'clock, Bill Phillips would come in. Bill, was Bill on it then? Bill or Cliff? And then we, you'd co-anchor the 7 o'clock news. The morning guy at that point, and I don't know if you've done anything with him, was John R.W. Whalen. Oh. And John would had a, th- you know, it was the typical stuff. They, they, they did some bits in the morning where they would give away whatever, merchandise and all kinds of stuff. And part of the deal was he had some kind of trivia book or baseball trivia book. That he, and in the morning he would, he would come out and ask the question and the caller's going to answer the question. And one morning... He forgets his book. But someone had told him, I knew something about baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something, so, just a little something just a little about something. baseball. So he comes in the newsroom sitting there. He says, listen, I forgot my book. You know, we do this thing. I said, yeah, I don't have a question. Can you come up with a question for me? 
I, they said, sure. So I gave him some question. I don't remember what it was, but I gave him the question. And he says, thank you so much. And he credited me on the air. Yep. I, I forgot my book. Next morning, he forgets it again. Oh. And so he comes in. Oh, I forgot it again mm. here. I said, fine, here's another question. He does it, thanks me. And I believe it was the last morning I was working, Friday morning. Comes in the newsroom again before he does this. And he says kind of, he didn't see use these exact words, but it, but it was his tone was, okay, hot shot. You think you know so much. How about we have a listener call in with a trivia question to try to stump you? Ooh. And I said, fine, okay, whatever you want to do. Bring it that, on. That, that, that's fine. He, he tells everybody, listen, I don't have my book again, but this time I got these questions from Bob Pressman, who thinks he knows all about baseball. <laughs> We're going to have a caller call in. Uh, with the question and try to stump him. And, you, you know, if you stump him, you get whatever. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm in the, new, in the newsroom, in the news studio. He's in the uh, on-air studio there. Someone calls in. It, w- it sounded like a young male. And he says, okay, here's the question. The famous double play combination for the Chicago Cubs of Tinker to Evers to Chance. That was the shortstop, second baseman, and first baseman. Who was the third baseman? I would have no idea. Or anyway. Oh, my. And you knew, obviously. Right away. Matter of fact, <laughs> I, is it? I had. Uh, Hang on. I, I, uh, there was a famous baseball trivia book, which I owned. and Which you wrote. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was later in the movie the, Back to the Future, I'm the, sure. The title is <laughs> Who is So-and-So? And it was the third baseman of, of that. So I knew it right away. Oh, my. So uh, uh, <laughs> I figure I'm going to play with this. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, you're asking me this. How would anyone know this? I said, let me think about Chicago Cup third baseman. No, I don't think it was Ron Santo. I don't think it was Bill Madlock. I don't think it was Stan Hack. <laughs> Who could have been? And, and Waylon's standing there just smirking at me. Thinking, yeah, we got him nailed. I said, all right, let me throw out a guess here. You mean Waylon thought you were actually squirming? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. So I said, Fred Steinfeld. Is that it? That yep. is the correct answer. Wow. Anyway, Fred Steinfeld and and the caller says, "Yeah, that's right." <laughs> and Waylon practically falls over. <laughs> practically falls over. And, and so, oh, uh, now the next week, Fred is back, but John Waylon loved it. Mm-hmm. He thought, "Why don't we? Why don't you come on and, and let's let's keep doing this? See if the people can stump you." That's how it all started. So was it like every Friday? Was it just once a week, a couple of days, every morning? I think it started out once a week. I can't remember. But then he says, why don't we just do this every morning? And we did it through the end of of baseball season. And I can't remember how this worked, but John left. Mm -hmm. And I remember that. John left, and then Bill Phillips became morning man. I'll tell you why Bill left as news director. I think I'm getting uh, the, the chronology right here. He went to work for the Metro Center. He, uh, he went to work for Doug Logan at the Metro Center. You're right. Which, which he didn't like mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So, and then when there was an open, I don't know who was working before. It might have been Mel Young that he replaced. You know, he, he proposed to Vernon Dave. Hey, I can do more. Let me do mornings. And that's how he started there. And so with Bill then... And initially, I think I just did it during baseball season, mm-hmm. and then and then Bill had come out of the and he says, why don't we just, this is really going well, it's really popular, why don't we do it all year round? And so we did, uh, after baseball season, we just did baseball one day a week, and then we did football, and I think movie, it's just all, all this, this other stuff. 
Was it tough to make the transition of serious newsman to comedy bit a few minutes later with Bill Phillips? Not at all yeah. for me. Uh, one thing I, I, I very specifically did, they never said this is Bob Pressman. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an Just, alter ego. Right, it was right. Mr. Baseball. And Ken, you know the whole yeah, bit. Right. I probably, you well, know, who, Mr. Bay, who is from Shemong yeah. and does all this other <laughs> Why stuff. Why Shemong? I, I just thought that was a funny-sounding yeah. name for mm-hmm. a, a town. It is. And, Can and, I tell you, you're not the only person who thought it was funny. When I first came to town, I was yeah. like, Shama, how do you say yeah. this, first of yeah. all? And I remember Wicker would laugh about it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many people that think it's made up. Yeah. So oh, I know. It's on and the it's other not. side of Cape Run. Shamanga's there, and there is. The, it's on the Piscasaw Creek. <laughs> I didn't make I didn't make that up, too. But then all this other stuff I made up. And the interesting thing with Waylon, because Waylon put together, you know, I'd opened the show. Mm-hmm. You'd have this, you know, high sounding voice oh no it's mr baseball he put that together that version of take me out to the ball game it's actually a real uh, a regular version but he speeded it up so it sounds Mm -hmm. crazy and then and then you have these fans going waylon put all that stuff Mm -hmm. together and then later on we added i don't know if you remember this we said all right mr baseball he's got the little guy said you know oh no it's mr baseball and then you had the crowd the fan the fans in the in the stands we had the boys in the band what i referred to as the guys Mm -hmm. playing the taking out to the ball game well come on mr baseball he's got to have this a bigger entourage than that he's got to have you know some young ladies who sing with him (laughs) and and this i thought i don't know how i thought about this but i did i said all right i got to have some kind of little theme song here or whatever Mm -hmm. so i remember going into and i rarely did this in one of the production studios and says where do we have some background music sound effects? And I started, you know, what does the sound of the sound? And I thought I hit on just, I thought, the right tune for the background. I had to write up the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So I write up the lyrics to this, you know, uh, you know, uh, when I turn on the radio, it's all for the Mr. Baseball Show. You know, I, I love that man since time begun. I'd go with him even to Shemong. And I go, because <laughs> on all this stuff. What? But I said, all right, now I got to have some female voices to record this. So I had the music all set. Uh, it was just on an LP. And I remember recruiting every woman I could find in the station at that point. I'm trying to think who was on this. Um, was, is it Debbie Best, maybe? Debbie Best was on it. Jan, I, Carol Pollock? Jan Thorpe? Carol Pollock. Think Jan Thorpe. Uh, Barbara Reynolds. Sure. And yeah. get them in there. There were four or five of them. And I said, here, I showed him the lady, this is what I do. Here's the music, I played the music once, and this is how it's going to go, mm-hmm. you know, we had a time. And I'll, I'll play it, and again, if it doesn't work, you know, we can, you know, we will do more than one take. Yeah. First take. Wow. <gasps> Nailed it. No, Nailed it. No way. And what I used after that was that first take. Oh, awesome. And then we said, okay, he's got oh. this entourage, we were to this bill, we thought, well, what's the name of these, this, this, <laughs> uh, these women? You know, got to have a name for them. We had a contest to see from listeners if you, and again, you will, you'll get all kinds of Mr. Baseball t-shirts, passes of this and that, whatever, forever wins the prize. And the winning name I thought was perfect, the Pointless Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that, that was, that just worked out perfectly. Oh, that oh, is so that. cool. <laughs> in, in those days, obviously pre-internet, pre-social media, the importance of radio and television in terms of immediate news. Yeah. Um, with, with 
Fred Spear. Right. Just describe. I mean, you headed up a news department in you know from seventy eight. You said to eighty six. Well, I would have been. I became news director probably in nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Until yeah, like eighty six. Yeah. This was when WROK was frankly at its peak in terms of news reporting. And what was it like? Well, I tell you, I was, uh, it was absolutely, it was the golden age yeah. of WROK. It, it, it was just fabulous. Uh, and again, I'll refer back to, to Vern and Dave. Uh, the support was terrific. There, some, every now and then, I mean, I, I remember one time specifically, may have been another time after that, Dave would come in. <laughs> and now, you know, Dave knew all the major sponsors, oh, all, yeah. all the advertisers on, on, on right. the air. And sometimes we do a story that, you know, was maybe not, uh, again, we weren't embellishing anything. We nope. weren't out to get it. We were just reporting stuff that happened. And he came back, he'd come back, and he'd, he'd, he'd call me Bobby. Bobby, <laughs> uh, you know, you ran this. And and he said, now, they, so, they, so-and-so called me about this. And he says, but I defended you, but... Why did you do this? And then I expressed, David, I said, there was no animosity here. We were mm-hmm. just reporting what was going on. And I, re- I remember uh, probably the one time he got maybe most upset <laughs> was this was, uh, and this, uh, this was kind of a neat night, too. It was the opening night at the Metro Center. Okay. Oh. Dion Warwick yeah, was re- the performer I opening remember. night. Yeah. And so I went, and this would have been, I believe, on a Saturday night. So I, I was news director, but I went down to cover it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, did reports got, it was night because you get some natural sound of the background of her singing mm-hmm. and the whole bit, did these reports, it was great. The, the news on Monday morning was all of the opening of the Metro Center, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one, it was a minor story, kind of a, a side note, was that there was one arrest made. That's, the whole thing was, hey, this went so well, and there was only one arrest. The people arrested Uh-oh. were involved with, they were the owners of, Jungle Jim's, the restaurant. Oh, my. Uh, Joel. No, 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 no. Oh, before Joel. Yeah. Well, okay. jo- Joel was still there. It was not Joel. Was, okay. Uh, I believe uh, Jim Vitale. But, uh, but I'm not sure if he, it was he or Carol Zilts or Carol's wife, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Anyway, but they got away. It was disorderly conduct or something. It wasn't any, any big deal. But we mentioned, well, you want to arrest this. And since it was a notable person, people, yeah, they, right. we reported it. And Dave came in. Why he, he wasn't upset that we reported it, but that why did you have it on so much? <laughs> you know? yeah. I said, David, it was in the typical rotation of our news, and in the morning, wow. you know, we're doing newscasts every half hour, and that's the one time. But he didn't, you know, he w- wasn't happy about it, but that nothing came down on me. I mean, I was penalized. Mm-hmm. That's why I felt the support I got from the front office w- was, was just outstanding. And I'll say to him, Dave Salisbury. Another thing, when I'm news director, you know this, Ken. You worked there. No one filled out a timesheet. Yeah. No, you, know, you, you were you were paid. You no. were paid. I was paid a salary, so it didn't matter to me. But everyone else was it was supposed to be forty hours. Well, you know, Ken, no. if you're in news and you're dedicated to it, you're working more than forty hours. I mean, period. That mm-hmm. that's you just have to be that way about it. But what would happen was two things, and I, I'm sure you'll you know support me on this, Ken. Fine, people worked extra time. Didn't necessarily get compensated for it. But if you ever wanted time off mm-hmm. for anything, mm-hmm. fine. 
Take it off because you put in those extra hours. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, too, we worked uh, uh, one of our prize things was election night, which we covered, mm -hmm. you know, people in TV told me how, you know, you guys covered it better than anybody. Mm -hmm. I'd work all night. I, you probably did, too. You'd literally work all night. You'd be there at night, and then I had to be on for the morning news for, at 6 o'clock. So, fine, I just stayed at the station Do all remember, night. I think the 82 gubernatorial race between Jim Thompson and Adlai Stevenson, it went all night. Do yeah. you remember that? I remember you were on the air all night. You know, I, I, I actually don't remember that yeah. specifically. But, uh, you know, you worked all night. Right. And then yeah. the, that morning after, you know, I got through with the morning newscast and everything and, and go in my office, Dave Salisbury would come in and say, hey, great job. Mm -hmm. wow. Take all the news department out for dinner at Giovanni's oh, or, or Jungle Gyms, nice. whatever, where we had, a, we had a trade out. And that was it. Or if, if, so, if we did if some extra coverage for anything where mm -hmm. we really went above and beyond, he'd come in and say, hey, you know, take people out. Or if an individual reported something special, uh, I'd go to Dave, hey, this guy put in extra time and everything. How about you know, have, let him t you take he and his wife out to dinner at wherever – no problem. And always in, yes. In 1984, yeah. Vern Nolte and Dave Salisbury gave you a gift of appreciation. Yeah. They sent you to the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. True? Absolutely true. What, the story on that was, I believe it was the Buick Dealers of America, something like that, was a major sponsor of the Olympics, or major, but a, a, a big sponsor. And part of the deal was, since they ran, uh, and they ran, the local Buick dealership ran out of spots in ROK and ZOK, and they gave this, you know, it was a trip, it included airfare and hotel. For whatever reason, I can't remember, Vern didn't want to go and Dave didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think, they, I think they may have offered it to Ron Galena, he didn't want to go. Right. So they call me in the office. I'm totally un I have no idea why they're calling me in. You think you're in trouble? Yeah. Uh, probably. <laughs> I I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories about that, too, uh, uh, about some uh, interesting confrontations I had with Vern. Oh. But anyway, they call me in there, and they say, how would you like to go to the Olympics <laughs> in Los uh, Angeles? Yeah. Huh? yeah. You and your wife, pr pretty much all expenses paid. I know they, they cover it. It was airfare. And uh, the hotel, I can't remember if they covered the rent-a-car, but they may have even given me some extra spending money. And obviously tickets to a few Olympic events. It wasn't the big stuff. I remember going, mm -hmm. going to a, a baseball game at Dodger Stadium, first time I was there. I remember seeing, uh, I believe it was women's volleyball, which was inside. It, it, it uh, may have been on the campus of UCLA. Those two I remember distinctly. Did you do reporting back no, on it? No, no, it, it was a vacation. Wow, nice. very yeah. nice. Because there was no local tie-in or anything. I mean, and I think we were running through ABC Olympic reports, so it really that wouldn't have made any sense at that point. But that obviously was a terrific perk. You um, personally put together a series, a news series, the ten most powerful people in Rockford. Yes. How, how did that come about? Well, every year I would go to, uh, well, was as a news director, there's an organization called the Radio and Television News Directors of America, and they would have an annual convention. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like three or four times in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know how much I hate to go out to Las Vegas, Ken. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I remember being out there. It was, it was in oh, I remember just... going to Florida once. Mm -hmm. 
uh, somewhere else too. But anyway, what I would do with these things, uh, I got uh, to be friends with the news director at WJBC in Bloomington. Steve Vogel. Steve Vogel, yes, right. terrific guy. And I think this is something he did in Bloomington. Well, one thing you know, Ken, when you've been to these things, you, you try to get ideas yeah. about di doing different stuff. Right. And this is something that they had done about, about you know, the 10 most powerful people. I thought, wow, this would be perfect for Rockford. Mm -hmm. And so the way we worked it up, I thought, all right, how am I going to do this? We gathered together, and I talked to other people in the newsroom. Let's put a list together of the movers and shakers in Rockford, from, and, and not just politi politics, but from every area, yeah. every area. Entertain social. Yeah. 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 And let's have them vote on uh -huh. who they think is the most powerful person in Rockford. We said, we're going to send out ballots, and we said, name the three most powerful people in Rockford, in your opinion, in order. Number one, two, and three. And, and we got a terrific response. And the way it worked is if you, if you got a first-place vote, you got three points, second place, two points, third <laughs> yeah. place, one point. And so I got all the stuff in, and I kept this under wraps. No one saw the tally but me. And I looked through the thing and got it. And, and, and mostly the usual suspects. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes someone put in, you know, would vote for Vern or put Dave Salisbury's <laughs> name down. Uh, they, they did not make the top ten list. No. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so went through all that. And again, so I saw the way it was set up. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go and do uh, interviews with the top ten. That's how we would run it then. And I had to be very discreet about it, though. I didn't want people to know what was going on. And so at times, I, I remember meeting people in their homes to do it, uh, a lot of times at their office. Uh, I think one person, we actually did it in the studio, but I think just one. And the stories were actually pretty amazing, I thought. I really got into, it wasn't one of these, oh, we're going to show warts and all of these people. Mm -hmm. No, we, I want to know their story. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where are you from? How did you get to where you are? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, again, I thought it, w it was really good. It was interesting, too. Uh, the Number one, and this would have been in 19, I want to say 82. Mm -hmm. And uh, number one, the most powerful person voted was John McNamara, who was uh, the mayor at the time. Number two was Seth Atwood. Wow. Industrialist. And, and yes, industrialist. And, oh my. and I did the interview with him at his home. If, if, if people remember, he had that huge home right on the Rock River. I did. Off, yeah. of, off of Harlem. Yep. Uh, go to his home, and Seth Atwood, he's, he's passed on now. Mm -hmm. He was actually a very shy man. Mm -hmm. And he gave me just a terrific interview. I mean, I, and again, mm -hmm. I was open. I, I even said that, you know, you're not very social. You know, well, how, how do you feel about that? You've, you, you've gotten to where you are. And I remember his comment was, he says, well, I'm no Bob Hope. <laughs> but, you know, I yeah. get along with people. Yeah. And he was so nice and so cordial, welcomed me into his home. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that was very interesting with that, after, you know, and we started, we remember, and uh, Dave and Vern loved it. I mean, the whole idea, I mean, they ran newspaper ads every wow. day. Oh. They'd say top 10, and mm. they, they'd have 10 silhouettes there and saying with question marks, who are, with, starting mm. with 10. And then they ran a news ad, the same ad every day. When we did number 10, then the next days would show who was finished 10th, but the next nine, question mark. Yeah. Next day, number nine, et cetera, till we got down to one. It was really neat. And people were buzzing about wow. this. It was really good. I, I'm guessing Zeke Georgie must have been on the list. Zeke Georgie was, a, I can tell you who was yeah. on the list. Who was number three? Uh, let's I got if I get them in order now, I uh, remember John McNamara was one, Seth Atwood was two, Boy, this is t I, I can't remember the exact, but others, Lynn Martin, Zeke Georgie, 
John Holub. Sure. If you remember that. Mm -hmm. I think he was yeah. at that time was involved with the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, David Knapp, who was, was the banker? president and CEO yeah. of Amcor Bank. Mm -hmm. uh, we also had Clayton Gaylord from Ingersoll. Okay. Uh, I'm, to, I'm, I'm missing through. Oh, Doug Logan, <laughs> who was running the Metro Center at that time. We also had, I'm missing two people. Oh, Gary Watson, who was the publisher of the, the Register, Register Star. Star. Wow. And I, I'm leaving out one person. Maybe it'll come to me. But it was interesting. Again, this, this, the station got terrific reviews about it. People were buzzing. Out of those 10, only one called me back to say, thank you. You did such a great job on this. I cannot believe you, you did this long interview, and you were able to edit it down. It was so good. Seth Atwood. Seth Atwood. Wow. No way. My yes. Nice. Seth Atwood, yes. Awesome. Yeah. And what I, year was that, Bob? I believe it was 82. I know John McNamara was elected mayor in 81 on his first term, and I want to say it was 82 or 83. Okay. A series that you assigned, you, you did not uh, put together yourself, in 1985, the 10-year anniversary of the end of the U.S. involvement in Vietnam, you assigned it to a young Rick McLaughlin. In my 40 years around media, that might be the finest piece of broadcast journalism I have ever heard. You took the words right out of my mouth. It was the best radio documentary, certainly, that I have ever heard. I mean, it was, it was so good. I actually submitted it for a couple national awards. Mm -hmm. I thought it was that good. Now, it did win the best, I don't know how they phrase it, best radio documentary or whatever it was, or special feature mm -hmm. uh, for the Illinois State Broadcasters Association. Sure. It won that. But and I thought it would, should, should have won a couple of national awards. I, I, you're mm -hmm. right, Ken. I right. thought it was, that, that was an instance where Rick, oh, you know how, what a perfectionist Rick was. Rick was an artist. He was. He, he, he was, was truly. I mean, it sounds he trite. Was. Yeah. He was an artist mm -hmm. uh, and a perfectionist. Unfortunately, we lost him yeah. some some years ago. Yeah. Uh, but he was so good. I remember. I think that was a situation. I went to Dave and I said, "Dave, you've got <laughs> you've got to uh, you know give let Rick take his wife out to dinner, or whatever, and, and do that." When I after I did that, uh, excuse me, ten most powerful people in Rockford, they gave me a weekend. Out in Galena Territory, wow. me, me and Marianne. Oh, wow. Yeah. By, by the way, do either one of you have, either on cassette or CD or reel-to-reel, -reel, any of that uh, documentary from Rick? Because I, I do not. I, I do I, not I, either. Because if we put our feelers out, maybe yeah. somebody's got it, because yeah. I could easily digitize it and make it available so people could listen if we could just get the physical copy. Uh, yeah. While well, we're it, on it, it if you've be. got your intro to your Mr. Baseball that would be cool too. I, again, I, I've got I've got some Mr. Baseball tape. Yes, do you? I okay, because I can transfer them for you. Okay, I hope it's still. Yeah, I've got a few cassettes with that. I'm pretty sure. I know I saved. Didn't you submit it to the Smithsonian? I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I I, I, I submitted to the Phil, Millard Fillmore Archives of Shemung. Actually. In Shemung, I love it. I love it. Uh, but uh, I, I have to run. But. Okay. Uh, I know I saved when I left. I say we had all we had all these drop-ins yeah. that I used. Right. I saved all my drop-ins. Wow! So I, I, I know I've got that. So um, I want to touch upon some celebrities you've met. Bob Hope in Rockford. Yes, pretty amazing when you think about. It. Twice Bob Hope played in the Rockford Pro Am. 
And the Rock Pro-Am, when it first started, man, after a first two or three years, the first year was actually held at Elliott Golf Course. And then they moved it to Rockford Country Club. They'd always bring in a, a big-name entertainer the night before to appear Sunday night at the Metro Center. And you, I mean, think of the people. They had George Burns, mm-hmm. Bob Hope, mm-hmm. uh, Kenny Rogers, Glenn Campbell. John Denver. Denver. John Denver. Steve yeah. Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they brought in unbelievable people. Bob Hope twice. Mm-hmm. And that second time that Bob came in, Linda Carter was yes. Wonder and Woman. She opened yes. up. Yeah. She opened for and, him. Yeah. And Kelly Ryan and I, who know nothing about golf, were at the Rockford Country Club covering the golf event right. with you. And I distinctly remember you, and I've got pictures of them, yeah. uh, you interviewing Bob Hope and Chi Chi Rodriguez and all these yeah. other people. And it, yeah. was, it was a thrill. I remember Bob Hope. This was after he had played. They were around that Park District bandstand that was set mm-hmm. up. They're going to give awards or whatever. And I remember going up there, and he's sitting next to Carl Dargene, who mm-hmm. kind of headed up the Pro-Am, and, and they had played together. And Bob Hope was Bob Hope. I mean, he, he started needling Carl you know, about his golf game and all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was terrific. Mm-hmm. What other celebrities did you encounter during your career at uh, WROK? I'm trying to – well, you know, in, in addition, I already mentioned Ronald John, Reagan, yeah, Bob B. Dole. I'm interviewing Ted Kennedy. Wow. Uh, he came, that was not such a great interview because <laughs> he, uh, it was one of these deals where I, I can't even remember what year it was at this point, but they had him speak and then they had him in the separate area. I want to say, for some reason, I want to say it was at Rockford Speedway, but that doesn't sound right. But anyway, almost in like this tent-like setting and, you know, obviously Every local media wanted to interview him. So he gave everyone like, you know, three minutes or whatever, a short period of time. And he sat there. The answers were just rote. I mean, Mm. you're not going to ask him any question he hasn't been heard before didn't expect. So it was the typical. He just kind of droned on. It really was not a very good interview. Uh, Well, for a while at ROK, I did. This is after I was news director. I did this little sports thing for Mm -hmm. like half an hour of the evening, like from 5 to 5.30, 5.30 to 6, something like that. I can't remember. And I thought, all right, I'm doing sports here. Well, let's get people on. I interviewed Mike Ditka. Wow. I interviewed Dallas Green. Wow. I interviewed, again, this was dear to me, Roland Heeman, who mm-hmm. at the time was general manager of the Chicago White Sox. A couple other people I interviewed, and this was not with ROK, mm-hmm. pre-ROK. Oh, this will go back to my relationship with Marianne before we were married. You know, we'd been dating. We obviously you know, loved each other. But I thought to myself, you know, let's give her the acid test. And now keep in mind, I started there in October. It's April now. I had not had a day off because, you know, the one day off was Saturday. There was always a high school football or basketball game or Rock Valley College or, or Rockford College. Back then, I enjoyed going to Vegas. So I said, I need a, I need a little time off here. And so I, I invited her to come to Las Vegas with me. Now, it just so happened at that time, Muhammad Ali was scheduled to fight Ron Lyle in Las Vegas about two weeks, something like that, two weeks after we were going to be there. So I knew he's there. Now, people may not remember this. At that time, these heavyweight boxing, there was no pay-per-view. It was Mm -hmm. just on network television. It was going to be on ABC. I called around to see how can I get some of my contacts, see if I can get an interview. I was kind of out of luck. I, I hadn't figured it out at this point. And so we're going out there, 
And I was I explained what was going on to Marianne, and, and I was not going to take my tape recorder with me. She said, take it with you. you maybe something will work out. I said, okay. So I did. We get to the airport. We had checked our bags. So go to a baggage claim, and I say to man, wait here. I'll, I'm, let me make a phone call. I'll be right back. I call up the local ABC news affiliate in Las Vegas because they're going to carry the fight. So I call up there. I asked to speak with the sports director who was in. And I explained that my name is Bob Pressman, and they get this. I'm a WRWC at this point. I'm from a Chicago area radio station. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'd like to, you know, is is you can you tell me is Muhammad Ali available? How would I get an interview with him? And he says, no problem here. Uh, he says he's training at the Tropicana Hotel, and he says they do it in a, in, a, in the old Follies Theater there. He says, here's the name of the PR person for the hotel and her phone number. So I hang up with him, thank him. He even, this was funny, he asked me then, would you be interested in working a news job here at the TV station? And I said, nah. I said, I, said, I think I asked him, you got any openings in sports? And, and he said, no, but, but you know, it obviously would have changed my life completely. Anyway. So I call up the PR person at the Tropicana, answers the phone, very nice. She says, well, listen, he's training in the Old Follies Theater. We have a ring set up on the stage there, and uh, it's going to take place uh, in a, if you can meet me down there in an hour, and I'll, I'll show you in the whole bit. So anyway, I, I, I get off the phone, go over to Marianne. The bags are just coming off. He says, you won't believe this. He says, I got, we got to be at the Tropicana Hotel in an hour. It may have been less than that. It may have been half an hour, 45 minutes. So we get our bags, jump in a cab. We're staying at the Stardust Hotel, which is at the opposite end of the strip. We check in, throw our bags in the room, literally throw them in there, run out, get a cab, go down to the Tropicana. Timing is perfect. The woman's standing there in front of the Follies Theater waiting for me. She squirts me in, and it's set up. You know, It's a nightclub. Mm-hmm. They've got tables there and everything. They mm-hmm. were actually selling tickets to this to watch Muhammad Ali train. They've got a ring set up on the stage. They even had a cocktail waitress going around to the table serving <laughs> drinks. And people, and I think I, if my memory serves me correctly, it cost $2 wow. to get in there, $2 to watch Muhammad Ali train. Anyway, so she takes me up right up on the stage, kind of waiting for Ali and his people to come out. He comes out. First, his entourage comes out, led by Angelo Dundee, his trainer. And the PR person introduces me to him, the nicest guy. He said, Bob, great to have you here. Don't be shy about just walking up to the champ and talking to him and interviewing him. Unreal. Yeah, yeah. And at this, he was, Muhammad Ali was the most famous person in the world. Yes, and I was a fan of his before this. Now I became an even. And well, he, he'd spar for a round or two. Mm-hmm. And then he'd kind of hang on the ropes and he would literally take questions. He'd say, All right, anyone have any questions here? Today? Wow. And I, would, I, I had one of these tape recorders with a built in mic. So I'm holding up my tape recorder by him so I could record all this. And one thing I found out about him uh, if you, you know, he joked, you know, this, you know, I'm the greatest. It was all a facade. If anyone asked him a serious question, he answered it seriously. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, I got to interview him one-on-one, you know, uh, on, the, on the stage there when he was taking a break. And you have a picture of you and him, don't you? Yes. Yes. Mar- Mar- Marianne, Marianne, Marianne took the picture. Wow. Yes. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have that. But I'm interviewing uh, him. And then this would have been, I'm trying to think, it, well, this would have been in 91. 
So I was out of ROK at that point, I'm trying to think of the exact timing. Well, what was I doing then? No, I think I may have still been there. I, was, I would have still been at ROK in 91, I'm pretty sure. Because you did sports in the late 80s, the Lightning. You were the play-by-play yes, guy for yes. the Rock and the Lightning. Actually, at the very end of my career at ROK, I was in sales. Uh, Cablevision at that time w- w- was carrying the Chicago Bulls preseason games, f- four or five games, something like that. And they wanted to get some interviews with the Bulls players that they would play, show on the, uh, on their, uh, for the pregame for when they showed the game. And they knew me. Obviously, I was known in sports, et cetera. So they called me up and said, and I had done uh, high school football and Rock Valley College football and, and some basketball on, for cable. They would tape the game and then show it the next day. Anyway, they called me up, you know, would you, come, would you do this? Come in and uh, go to the Bulls training camp and get some interviews. I said, sure, that's, that sounds great. So we go in, and this is for television. We go in the first day. The first day is media day. It was a total circus. Now, keep in mind, this was, would have been training camp after the first Bulls NBA championship. So mm. they were the hottest thing around. Michael oh, yeah. Jordan was the hottest thing around. So you couldn't get near, you know, and it was, it, was, it was one of these mob interviews, too. You're not yeah. going to get any one-on-one. I, we really didn't want that. So we, you know, we really didn't get much of anything there, so we got to come back another day when there isn't this media mob. So we went back a few days later in the morning, and the Bulls were doing two-a-days, a morning and an afternoon practice. We go into the morning. It was neat. No media there. It was really great. And if there was, maybe one or two people. Anyway, and we, we had some uh, director chairs. We set up like a mini studio. They take a break in the morning practice. And I remember interviewing Horace Grant mm-hmm. and B.J. Armstrong. Oh it, w- it was just really, really good stuff. Uh, Bill Cartwright. Where's Michael? I, obviously, you want to get Michael, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, but he, you know, he was you know, kind of It was tough to get near him mm-hmm. at that point. So anyway, they finished the practice, and Michael just... Right after practice, I'll, I'll grab him. Well, he splits right away. I mean, I, I thought, ugh. And we were ready. Okay, been there all morning. we got to go back. So we got some good interviews, but not getting Michael. So we're, they're starting to tear down the equipment. And then out of the corner of my eye, on the distance, I noticed Michael, he, I don't know if he forgot something. I think that's what happened. He came back. And he's, you could tell he was just going to come back and leave. So I spot him there. I just made a beeline over to him. And I said, listen, uh, Michael, I'm from Rockford, Illinois, uh, for a TV station, for cable there. You know, we're all set. I pointed to where the set, and it was a nice setup. I said, can I just have you for a few minutes? I know you're busy. Can you give me a quick interview? And he kind of, first he says, okay. He comes over. We sit down, you know, director chairs. At that time, this is funny, especially and when you look at in retrospect, it seems ridiculous. You know, the Bulls had won their championship, and they got invited to the White House. And the president at that time would have been George H.W. Bush. Michael declined the invitation to the White House. I think most of the Bulls went. Michael declined because he said he had a golf game. Anyway, <laughs> he was getting ripped for that. And I thought, come on. So anyway, so he was, le- he was definitely leery about the news media. So we sit down. One thing, before we start rolling— he says, uh, and he was serious. He says, now, you're not going to ask me any tough questions, are you? I look at him, and I thought, I, my first reaction is, what is, he's asking me that? It's crazy. And I said to him, Michael, would anyone ever ask you any tough questions? I said it just like that. And he looked at me like, who is this idiot? You know? Anyway, but then he gave me a really good interview. Yeah. And actually, one thing about the interview, and that I've, I've, we've got a, a tape of that. 
And one thing I asked him, I said, again, this would have been their first championship. I said, how much longer are you going to play? Do you think you want to play? Right away, he says, two more years. Oh, my. And then he retired for the he first did. time I mean, in 93. He, he did. Now, he retired. I think the main reason then that you know, his father was murdered. I think that's the reason why. But I thought that was so interesting. He said that, and sure enough, two mm-hmm. years later, he does retire for wow. the first time. Did you ever see him when he was wearing a White Sox uniform? No. Okay. I think I may have seen him on TV once. Never, never, never saw him in person. Okay, just curious. Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to think. You mentioned with ROK. Who else? Well, I remember I've a number of times interviewed Jim, Jim Thompson. Sure. He, yeah, the governor. He would come in. I remember sitting in the studio there yeah. and, and uh, interviewing him. Great speaker. Jim yes. Thompson was an eloquent speaker. Yes. He, he, he was, was a character, too. Uh, he was. He, 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 he could be a jokester. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. I'm trying to think of other big-name celebrities. You know, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting some. I, I can't think of any offhand at this point. I mean, I interviewed a lot of different sports figures just for when, when I was at WRWC and later at WROK. I'll tell you who was uh, terrific. I remember interviewing Ernie Banks. Wow. Uh, this is why I was at ROK. I don't know how I found out about this. He and his family were spending a weekend or whatever at the clock tower. And for some, I don't know how I found out about it, but I did. And I went, uh, and I remember interviewing him sitting by the clock tower pool, their indoor pool there. Mm-hmm. And talk about, talk about the nicest guy in the yeah. world. I mean, he was, he was absolutely terrific. You know, I sort of had one of those episodes with my wife, who we've been married 32 years, so we're not nearly as long yeah. as you, but along those lines, met her at the radio station. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Ernie Banks was coming back to speak at the mill. You remember where they used to bring in all yeah. the top uh, sure. athletes? And so I had bought a single ticket to go, and Sandy says, well, are you going to take something to have him autograph? And I go, there's 350 people there. I said, the chance of me seeing Ernie Banks is slim and none. And she says, please, please take a baseball and maybe one of your caps and a Sharpie. Please, just put it in the car, sort of like Marianne did with your recorder thing with Muhammad Ali. And so I did. So I, it was a Giovanni. So I go down the hall and you get your placemats at what table you're at, you know, your place settings and who's handing out the place settings for everyone. Ernie Banks. Wow. wow. Yeah. I said, I'll be right back. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> and he was, he was just the most accommodating guy. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget the first part of that speech. And I've been a Cubs fan since 1967. And he says, uh, good evening, everyone. I'm Ernie Banks. I'm here to talk about winning. And it was not a good season that they had just yeah, finished out. Yeah. And, of course, everybody started laughing and goes, yeah, 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 I get it. But let me define winning. He says, when I see someone that brings their kid to a baseball game, and then I see them bring their grandkids, and then I see the kids bring back their kids and their grandkids, we could have lost 10 to 1 that day. doesn't matter. We still win. Mm-hmm. And that has stuck with me ever since. Yeah. It was a great speech. Well, now that this reminds me of another story, if you don't mind. This is when, you know, I was at ROK, then I left and I came back. I wasn't news director, but I was doing several different things, including, mentioned Rockford Lightning Games. And then also for a few years I did, we did a game every Friday night with the Rockford Expos. Sure. Mm-hmm. And what was neat about that, it was just, you know, it was just me reporting. I didn't have a, a color uh, person at all. Uh, but what was neat is a lot of times at those games there would be scouts 
or instructors uh, coming through from the other teams, some former Major League Baseball players who, who I recognize. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't recognize some of the names. But I, and I, I, go, I go down, introduce myself, say, I'm doing the radio broadcast. Can you sit in with me for a couple innings? And uh, practically without a fail, they would do that. Anyway, the Cubs at that time had a team in Peoria, the Peoria Chiefs. That was their Class A affiliate in the Midwest League. And their roving hitting instructor in the minor leagues was Billy Williams. Wow. And so Friday night game in Rockford, the Cubs, I mean, the uh, Rockford Expos against the Peoria Chiefs, Billy Williams was there. And the the people that ran the Expos, who were terrific, they knew I was going to want to have him on with me. So they they asked him before he even got there, you know, we have this radio guy, you know, he'd love to have you on. And they gave him some of my uh, background in radio and being Mr. Baseball. He comes on. I had him sit in. It was at least two innings, maybe three. He was just terrific, and he referred to me as Mr. I hear you're Mr. Baseball and all this <laughs> wow. stuff. And, but what, the neat part about that, again, it happened you know, fairly early in the season. Later on, we've got a Friday night game in Peoria against the Chiefs. So I get drive down there early. They played at this old stadium. I th- I'm pretty sure they built a new one now, but it was a neat stadium. These old uh, minor league parks were pretty neat. Their uh, administration office, though, was like down the left field line. So you have this park. I park in there. I see the administration office. Let me go in there. I want to get the lineups, you know, and any kind of background information I get for the game that night. I'm walking toward the building. In the back, someone yells, hey, Mr. Baseball. Billy Williams. It's Billy Williams, a Hall of Famer. Wow. Calls me Mr. Baseball. That that, that was pretty neat. That That is so cool. Yes. yes. I want to throw out a few names of people, either local celebs yeah. or people you worked with over the years. Just give me okay. a few adjectives to okay. uh, Zeke Georgie. Terrific legislator, and his heart was really in the right place, and he knew how to play the political game, which is very, very important. John McNamara. John McNamara, who passed away recently, and he actually became a, a, a dear friend. Uh, I thought exceptional person. I thought a terrific mayor. Talk about someone who really believed in and lived up to what we would call public service. Doug Logan. Doug was Doug, you know, and certainly he should have a lot of credit for building up the Metro Center initially. Not one of my favorite people. Frank San Angel. Oh, when I left WROK, I was doing some commentaries. Mm-hmm. It was on Friday. It was Monday through Friday. And when I left, my last commentary, I really I thanked everybody uh, that had helped me along the line everything. And I thought there were two people. I mentioned, I said, there were so many terrific people. And this is one great thing about Rockford. You have so many people who are dedicated to the good of the community who do this with no compensation and many times no recognition and actually uh, take a lot of grief when they do a good job. I said there's so many people that I wanted to mention two specifically that I thought were just terrific public servants. One was Dick Parrott, and I don't know if you'd remember I, that I, name. I don't know Dick. He served for a long time on the Rockford School Board. Mm-hmm. And the Rockford School Board, I don't know why anyone wants that job. I mean, you get paid, you get paid nothing. There's right. no compensation for it, and you get every headache in the world. Mm-hmm. And you could tell really was trying to do the best for everybody, for the school children in this community. I thought he was so dedicated, he was terrific. And the other one I mentioned was Frank St. Angel, who when I first started in news, and especially then when I was at Triple R, you know, I'd get in, there'd been a city council meeting, which I couldn't be at because I had to be in early in the morning. 
I'd see what was going on in the news, and then I would call. I'd say, oh, this thing. You know, I'd look at the newspaper. Mm-hmm. I'd listen to our okay. I wouldn't steal anything, but I know, all right, there's a story here. I need to uh, talk, interview the person. So I'd call them up early in the morning. Frank St. Angel, was, he was the president of the Winnebago County Board. Now, mm-hmm. at that time, I believe he was just elected by the members. There wasn't a separate election for the head of the county board like we have today, mm-hmm. and it's a paid position today. It was not paid at all. And Frank was so nice and so accommodating, explaining to me this is what happened last night. He was terrific. But the Santa, Frank St. Angel was just a treasure. Charlie Rosen. Oh, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie, many people, some people I know this, he was the coach for, the longest serving coach at that time for the Rockford Lightning, three years, four years. Charlie and I are, are very, very good friends today. We talk uh, a few times a year. He lives uh, in upstate New York near Woodstock. He is an original. He is a total character. Now, initially, he and I didn't hit it off at all. I thought he was horrible trying to work with because he distrusted the media, and I was part of the media. But then after after that first season, we got to know each other. Certain things happened, and we became very close friends. I'm paraphrasing here, but I remember listening to a pregame interview yeah. that Bob Pressman did with Lightning head coach Charlie Rosen. Yeah. And Charlie said something, I'm paraphrasing. You know, Bob, that's a good question. And frankly, I'm surprised coming from you. Know. Yeah, that, well, at that point, our relationship was good. Right. He, oh, he, I, I he, knew it was. He, he, he could rib me like right, that. Yeah, right, at that right. point. Yeah. Pat Cunningham. Oh, Pat and I became very good friends. Unfortunately, uh, you know, Pat has uh, some version of Alzheimer's at this point, which is too bad. Pat's another original. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, just I love sitting down and talking politics with him. Actually, for years, this is, you know, after I was retired, we'd get together for dinner, oh, probably once every month or two and just talk politics. And it was just, just so great. Uh, and I think, again, that he, he was actually one of the bright spots of many in Rockford Media for a number of years. Uh, you know, he started actually in media, and he's from Freeport. Mm-hmm. He worked for the Freeport paper initially, mm-hmm. then Rockford paper, then he did television, and then back to the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of people in media, Jeff Wicker. Oh, geez. Well, <laughs> as you know, Ken, Jeff and I are still very, very good friends. I, ta- I, mean, I, t- I just talked to Jeff last week, as a matter of fact. And uh, what a terrific guy. He's still working in radio. He's in Mm -hmm. Richmond, Virginia. He was in Richmond. Then he went to North Carolina, back in Richmond now. And uh, just a a great talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always wondered, why isn't he at some big city radio station? And part of the problem is, I think, he, he, he is... In his work, such a perfectionist, he devotes so much time to the work, he really doesn't look for stuff outside of what he's doing. I think if he had, if he had been, uh, you know, marketed himself maybe to some uh, big uh, market radio stations, that's where he'd be. Great guy. You know, we were in Missouri for my uh, uh, dad's 90th birthday, and uh, relatives came from all over the place. And we were talking, hey, Tim, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I was telling him about the Storyteller Studio. And I says, but you know... There's going to be some people that are very, very far away that we're going to have to do a Zoom thing or something. Yeah. You know, it won't yeah. be in the same room. And so I'm talking about, uh, you know, all the people that are all scattered all over. And she said, um, hmm, you know, I live in Richmond. I said, yeah. She goes, I'm a Wicker Warrior, which, wow. is, which wow. is his fundraising wow. things. Yep. I says, are you kidding me? You list Mix 108? And she goes, oh, yeah, every morning. Yeah. Wow. And, and talk about yeah. a creative. Mm-hmm. The stuff he did on the air was j- just fabulous. Joe Soto. Oh, 
Another guy who is just a, yeah, Joe has the greatest sense of humor yes, and, and just such a great people person. And he ribs me all the time about different things. A year ago, uh, I uh, decided for one time thing, let me uh, uh, rent a sky suite or sky box at the White Sox ballpark and invite, you know, family members and friends. And the, again, this would have been the first time a lot of people could get out to games with the pandemic going on, but it was okay then. And uh, actually, we had uh, Jeff Wicker, Joe Soto, and Lisa Fielding came. Wicker came out from Richmond, Virginia. Oh, wow. And we had, it was, and I had a lot of my family there, other friends there, and it was just the best time. And Joe was Joe, mm -hmm. just absolutely terrific. Lisa Fielding. Oh, Lisa. You know, you, you got to love Lisa, yeah. right? I mean, just remarkable. Now, she, uh, I believe you hired her, Ken. I did. At that time, I was doing other things at the radio station. That's what I was doing. The, these, the, I was doing the, a lot of the, the lightning games and some other things, and I found out she was a Cub fan. We used to go mm -hmm. at each other, Cubs and Sox, all the time. And Lisa, my God, I mean, talk about a great uh, baseball fan. For a while, she was doing the public address announcing out at the Rockford Expo games. And she's a walking encyclopedia. She is. Oh, and she yeah. Is. And I'm so happy for her. You know, she's at uh, WBBM BBM, Radio in Chicago. Right. Been there quite some time now. Mm -hmm. And absolutely terrific. One of my favorite people. She, now, this this may not be something that, that we've mentioned on the Storytellers before based on, you know, who we've talked to, which yeah. you are number 23 today, by mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. So we've we've really been lucky. Me, and, me and Michael Jordan. Yes, <laughs> yes, right, exactly. Right. But uh, we were lucky enough to be able to get Jim Mulvaney mm -hmm. and Joe Soto and Lisa Fielding oh. in the same. So you can imagine oh. five live mics. Oh, wow. geez. That had to be crazy. At WBBM's production room. Oh, and, okay. And you know, everybody could finish each other's sentences. Right. You know how that exactly. is. Exactly. Well, we also went into WGN okay. and interviewed Lisa Dent. Oh, yeah. Okay. So some folks may not know that the afternoon Chicago Drive is Joe Soto on V103, Lisa with Keith Johnson on WBBM, right. and Lisa Dent with uh, Steve Bertrand on the afternoon news on WGN. Yeah, yeah. And they're all ROK and ZOK alumni. Yeah, that's Fantastic. great. That's great. It's wow. phenomenal. Yeah. 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 It, it, I, I want to wrap up, Bob, yeah. by mentioning, in addition to your vast knowledge of news and sports, you are uh, a Renaissance man who is committed to learning about the Civil War and the subsequent Reconstruction period. Why is that important to you? You hit on something that's dear to my heart. Um, I'm currently the president of the Rock River Valley Civil War Roundtable. There are over 300 Civil War roundtables around the country. And basically, you know, you get together once a month and we'll have a speaker, someone making a presentation about some aspect of the Civil War. I think that, unfortunately, most people in this country don't understand what the Civil War was about and the impact it has today. If you really, if you talk to any modern historian, just about any modern historian, they will tell you what this country is today is a direct, and I mean direct result of the Civil War and Reconstruction. Many people have referred to the Civil War as the second founding of America. And this country changed dramatically in so many ways because of the Civil War and all those changes and all the, the positives and, and actually a lot of the negatives that came out of that we're still dealing with. Those issues are still alive today in this country, and we still have not resolved them. Matter of fact, I did a presentation 
actually yesterday at the Rock Valley College Center for Learning and Retirement. Uh, I've done a several, a several there, and I call it facts, and then a question mark, or I, I call it myths, and then or facts, question mark, of the Civil War. And I'll present a statement about the Civil War. I'll ask those attending, do you think this is a fact, do you think it's a myth? We'll total up the votes, and then I'll explain, I'll, I'll say what the answer is according to modern historians and what the hard evidence reveals. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to me how so many people don't get it. They don't understand why the war was fought, what the result of it was, uh, how it impacted not only politics, but uh, all, all these social things in this country today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, affected, it actually affected things around the world. Uh, and in addition to affecting what happened after that uh, militarily, I mean, it, it's just, uh, it, I mean, as an example, a lot of people don't realize this. More Americans died in the Civil War than all other wars combined. And I'm talking about World War I, World War II, Vietnam, all other wars combined. More Americans died in the Civil War. Oh, my. Bob, great to catch up with you. Yeah, thank you, Ken, and thank you, Tim. Thank you, Liz, who, who had to take off. But, uh, yeah, I, at first when I did it, I said, geez, what am I going to talk about? I don't have that many stories. And, well, maybe maybe I do. <laughs> you know, if they were shutting the lights off on us, and uh, I know. we could I know. keep going. Well, there, frankly, there are a couple things I was going to bring up previously, but we're out of time now, I, I could have mentioned. You know, there's people like Fred Spear and Bill Shannon yeah. that when they finished their session, yeah. it was maybe, I don't know, two weeks later, yeah. and they would say, is it okay or is it possible for me to come back in because I thought of more stories? Yeah. I go, well, sure, I, Well, let me, let me throw in one more yeah. here because I want to get in earlier, and this is about Vern Nolte. Sure. Okay. okay. Vern and I, again, he was so supportive of news and everything, but he was very critical. He wanted things done a certain way. And I remember one time, I won't go into the details, it was, it was I thought, a ridiculous thing. This is my, my statement. But he, he called me up. I remember it happened at night. It was the next morning. It was actually a national story. That's why it made no sense to me. He says, why didn't we have this story on? Why didn't we get in the coverage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said, Vern. It had to do, it was actually in Lake Tahoe. There was an explosion at Harvey's Hotel there. No one was killed. And, you know, our, we had the ABC news feed. They covered it. Why weren't we on this? Why didn't we break? Why don't, we, uh, why don't you have your people doing this and covering all this? And I just said, Vern, you're wrong. This makes no sense. We went at it. I mean, we were, we were shouting at each other. It's the first time that it ha- ever happened to me with Vern. Did, we, he, did he walk into your newsroom? Is no, that no, no. Were? He called me into his office. Okay. And we were in his office. I can't remember if the door was closed or not. Probably wouldn't have made a difference because we were both going at it. And... Uh, as Marianne will tell you, I can be stubborn at times, actually very stubborn, and Vern is too. After I walked out of his office, I remember it was in the afternoon and then later on that day. When I went home that night, I said to Marianne, be prepared for this. I, I may be fired because it was really hot going back and forth. Uh, I don't I, I don't believe either of us uttered any profanity, <laughs> but we were probably thinking it. Anyway... I go in the next day. I said, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen. Went through the morning news, you know, the whole, the whole bit, you know, and then I think it's uh, the last newscast I do is, is 8 or 9 o'clock. And then I yeah, find, and then uh, other people are in the newsroom then. Were, you, were your insides kind of churning because of the uh, uncertainty? I don't, I don't recall, I'm sure. I, I was kind of resigned to it. I said, wow. I, I, thought, I thought I was right. I held my ground. Yeah, I said, sure. if it happens, it happens. Yeah. 
And if it did happen, that would not be the hill to die on. That topic. Well, oh, absolutely not. But I felt I, you know, stood up for the principal. Yeah. But at any rate, I go into my office. You know, the office was like a closet, the small <laughs> office. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and this is after I go off. A little time expired. Dave Salisbury comes in to the office, and he says to me, and Mary points at me, he says, Bobby, he says, uh, I want to tell you something. You scored a lot of points last night. Good. Do you think it was a test? No. Okay. Uh, but I, okay. I think the fact that I had, had stood up to him. Now, I would have thought after all this, you know, Vern would have come in and said mm -hmm. something or, or called me back yeah, to talk right. about it again. Not a peep. Never heard one word about it again. Now, and now, subsequent to that, there were at least two other times. One I remember specifically, same thing. We, we had a, this shouting match in there. And then I go back to my next day, next few days. I don't hear anything about it, <laughs> nothing. And actually, things went on, pretty much as they were. Actually, in one this one specific instance, I kind of got what I wanted. And uh, but that was Vern. You remember he? You know, you could you could speak your mind, and it would get hot. But then it was not personal, mm -hmm. you know. And then okay, mm -hmm. we'll we'll go on. We'll move on from there. So that that that. Uh, showed me a lot about, about Vern. I thought it was very positive. I would positive. think a, a good boss would appreciate dissenting opinions from subordinates. Well, certainly in this case, when Dave came in and said, yeah. you scored a lot of points, yeah. yeah. I thought, and that was, you know, Dave, the people person. Right. You know, yeah. Smoothing, you know, Vern would never come in and said that. <laughs> but Dave did, and, and that, that uh, uh, I thought that was very revealing. When you Vern. said that things got hot, yeah. I could have swore your story was going to go uh, like you were at an editorial meeting or something, and then things got all hot between the four or five of you. No, no. Well, I can't believe it was one-on-one -on -one over that time. It was one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, but, uh, but I'll tell you, things didn't get quite this. There are a couple other times in our editorial. We'd meet as editorial board on Thursday morning, you know, because then we'd run the editorial. Mm -hmm. The news director, I would have to write up the editorial. So we'd sit there and have, and most of the time, where everyone was pretty much in agreement. Now, Vern's very conservative, and, and actually, both Vern and Dave, they were from a different generation. There's no question mm -hmm. about that. You know, the way right. they viewed the world. Right. There's no question about that. There were a couple times when literally everyone else, I'd be in there, Vern, Dave, usually Ron Galena. Bill that, Phillips? Uh, yeah, Bill Phillips, Morning yeah. Man. He was the right. Morning Man. He'd right. be in there, too. There are a couple issues, I remember, where literally everyone was unanimous how we felt, except Vern. <laughs> and so as the th saying goes, you know, some votes are more equal than others, right? Everybody gets an equal vote, but some are more equal than others. Well, Vern, uh, and there were, there were some controversial issues there. He would never say, I'm in charge here. This is what we're saying. He would say, if in this situation, he disagreed, let's, let's pick another subject. Let's do it on something else. That's the way it would be. The other thing, I'll, I'll confess this too. We'd, we'd have a topic, and I would disagree. You know, generally, you know, there's certain spot points I would disagree about, right? But they say, no, this is what we want to say. This is how you're going to write it. Well, I'm the one writing it. Right. <laughs> That's a lot of power with that. Yes. And so... We met Thursday morning. I'd write up the editorial, and I'd have to take it in to Vern or Dave or both, whatever, just show them this is this was going to go. Now, if if you remember Vern, and I say this in a positive way, the way it worked out, 
you wanted to, if you had to get something done with him, you get it done in the morning. Because mm-hmm. after lunch, yeah. sure. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'd write it up, and a lot of times Vern wasn't even, he was gone. So I showed it to Dave. Dave would just look at kind of a cursory look at it, fine, go ahead. So I really got my <laughs> viewpoint in there much more often than I probably should have. Wow. Once you've learned the formula. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As with Zeke George, I knew how to play the game. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Thanks. Thank you all. This is fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> Rockford Radio, WROK. This is Tim Larson. Just before 11 o'clock, 28 degrees, Bob Pressman has the news next. It's Martin Gustafson's ninth annual 12 months. At Pryngees, you can save 20% on Norataki dinnerware and glassware. But hurry, if you miss it, that's the breaks. Oops, it's 1101 at WROK Rockford, 28 degrees under cloudy skies. Bob Pressman has WROK News. Tim, the weather tops the news this hour. Most of Illinois, partly sunny tomorrow with a high of 37. For Monday, partly sunny and warmer. Right now, winds are out of the west at 37 miles per hour with gusts up to 50. At the airport, 30 degrees. It's 28 at WROK. Good morning, this is Tim Larson on WROK. This four-member group is one of the biggest corporations in the country of Sweden. Here's Ab on the Dancing Queen on your Saturday morning at WROK. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller's Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting. 